Vineyard Westside welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Come as you are, because we believe that love wins, period. As I said, Ryan's on vacation. He's not here. So um, we're going to talk about dangerous prayers today. Um, it was kind of funny. I was, I've been up since 2.30, so I actually had caffeinated coffee today, um, and hopefully I'll stay awake. Uh, but I actually, <laughs> my two-year-old is cutting her molars, and so she is the one that woke me up at 2.30, um, and she would not go back to sleep. So then she slept in our bed, which meant she slept, but I didn't. And I actually fell asleep for like 20 minutes, I think, before my alarm went off and had a dream that I slept through. <laughs> I didn't make it to service. It was, I like realized at like 10.15, like, oh, I was supposed to teach today. And uh, in the dream, I called my mom and I'm like, well, who taught? And she's like, Rose. So I don't know, Rose, if you have a word, if you want to come teach today, but <laughs> she's not getting up, so I guess she's not. Um, so anyways, we're going to, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see how this goes. But I want to talk today about um, dangerous prayers and what that looks like, what it means to really both be effective with our prayers and fully alive uh, with what we pray about. Um, I think uh, we all know the concept that we were designed to hear God's voice, I think a lot of us at some time or another struggle with hearing it or will say, oh, I don't hear from God um, because we don't hear an audible voice or we don't think that we're actually hearing his thoughts, but we're just making something up in our head, right? But your senses are also part of what he created and how he communicates. So if you feel his peace or you feel his joy or you just sense something or you just have that gut feeling that you just know something, those are all the ways that he communicates. And I don't think he communicates us to the same way every time um, because then we would not need him, right? We would just get used to hearing one way or doing things one way. Um, but I think he often will minister in a way that we can't comprehend so that we keep leaning on him. I don't know if you guys have been watching The Chosen. Um, if you haven't, you should go binge it today. Um, it is one of the most amazing um, representations of Jesus I've ever watched. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's... Uh, this series, this guy used to make movies for Hollywood and just kind of lost everything. And then God told him to make this series about Jesus. Um, it's completely kind of crowdfunded, as they call it. And so they don't have a big you know, studio backing them or anything like that. Um, and they actually have an app. So you can actually watch the show right on your phone or you can cast it to your TV. Like we have a Roku box, so it casts right to the TV. Um, some of them were on YouTube. I don't know if they all still are on there, um, but if you get the app, it's really easy to watch. But anyways, it's this, this story of Jesus, but it's very much told from kind of the disciples' viewpoint. Um, and what's so comforting about that is that when you read the Gospels, you read in there that the, the disciples didn't really understand Jesus right away the first time, every time he explained something. When Jesus was teaching things to them, they'd be like, huh, what? Or, you know, why can't we do that? And so there's there's this back and forth when you read the Gospels between the disciples and Jesus that even they didn't get it, and they were physically in his presence learning from him every day. And so you read that, and you go, oh, okay, it's okay that I don't get, the, I don't get it the first time. But then to see it come alive on the screen, and you kind of, you know, somebody has imagined these conversations for you. It's just a great um, kind of program to kind of bring the Gospel alive. But the point is, is that, you know, hindsight is usually what's 20-20. But the point is, is that they were right there with the living God every day under his tutelage, and they still didn't get everything the first time. Some things they didn't understand until he was gone. And so there's this relational aspect of being in a relationship with Jesus where we're invited in, and you never fully arrive, 
right? It's, it's about the relationship. And I'd like to propose to you today that we're designed and created to perceive God and not only hear him, but he hears us. We're designed to influence his heart too. There's, you know, from the, from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis all the way through the end, there's this theme of co-laboring with God. We're not robots. He didn't pre-program us and just give us prayers to pray and say, here, say these. Nothing's going to happen when you say them, but just do it. It'll keep you busy and happy until I return. Right? I mean, he gave us free will and free choice, and he wants us. He's, there's this invitation to be in relationship with him. We're not robots. So if we're designed and created to perceive him, how do we do that? How do we get there? And it says that we're designed to have overflowing joy. I don't know about you, but I don't feel joy every day, every second, every minute. I mean, there are seasons, there are hard times, but it says that we're designed to have overflowing joy. I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture today that highlight something. Um, and these all come from John 14 through 16. So we're just talking about three chapters all kind of right next to each other. And there's this idea that's repeated four times just within those three chapters. It's just like this big sign like, hey, dummy, pay attention. Like, I'm going to repeat myself four times so you really get the point. So we're going to look at these and then break them down a little bit. John 14, 14 says this. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's the first one. John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then the last one, John 16, 23. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, before we go on, this is not an invitation to be arrogant and selfish and pray prayers like, God, make me a millionaire. Um, it's, it's not for that. And it's kind of funny because one of these verses just came up the other night when we were reading the Bible to my kids, and my oldest is almost 10, and you know, his big dream is to be a YouTube star, which I just was like, oh, could we aim a little higher? Could we aim for something a little bit more service-minded? Uh, but, you know, he wants... That's, as, a ten, as an almost 10-year-old, that's his dream. He wants to be, you know, famous and play video games all day. Until um, so we were talking about this, that this, this passage is not permission to just pray prayers to better yourself or to get ahead in life. It's not to be, oh, God, give me everything I want, or, oh, give me, you know, a bunch of money. But it's an invitation, rather, to die to your selfish and arrogant wishes and to represent his heart and his desire here on the earth. It's this idea that we're meant to live in relationship with him in this constant conversation, in this constant relationship. And when we remember and we keep at the forefront of our mind all the things that he's done for us and all the things we have to be thankful for, we keep the joy alive. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be seasons where we're like, man, God, I am just like out of energy. I'm hitting a wall. I'm like, everything feels like it's falling apart. It doesn't mean there won't be those seasons. But it's that relationship and being like, yeah, I take those feelings to God. And I say, God, I'm frustrated. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I don't have any energy. And he goes, 
yeah, but remember yesterday when this happened? And you're like, oh, yeah. And remember yesterday when that car almost hit you, but it didn't hit you? And so it's that constant conversation and relationship with him where he is able to remind you. When you keep your focus on the problem, your life's going to be hard. When you keep your focus on the problem solver, it's going to be a little bit easier. You're going to be able to hold on to a little bit of joy, even if it's joy that's old. (laughs) Even if you have to just hold on to something good that happened yesterday or last week or last month or last year, you can still hold on to it until you get your breakthrough for the new thing. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I think we remember this Proverbs, the first part, all the time. I mean, I've heard that said several times. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Don't get down. Don't be discouraged. Like, focus on the good. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But we leave off the ending. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. An answered prayer is the tree of life. When was the last time you spent time with him in prayer? When was the last time you poured out your heart to him and said, God, help me. God, help me. Fix this. Show me what to do. Show me what to say. Show me who to go to. And then he gives it to you. And then you're like, oh, yes, thank you. Answered prayer is the tree of life. We're designed to live with ongoing answers to prayer. It doesn't mean you get the answers when you want or how you want, but it means you get an answer. There is conversation. There is dialogue there. Bill Johnson once said, we tend to pray enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to make a difference. Ouch. We tend to pray enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to make a difference. Are we in that conversation? Are we in that relationship? Are we just whining and begging and complaining and not really listening? Are we not asking God what he wants to do today? I mean, what if we just got up every day and said, God, what do you want to do today? Instead of, God, here's what I need. If you think of like a a pressure valve, a release valve on something, um, like I think of my Instant Pot that has this little release steam thing on it. Sometimes the Lord puts something on your heart or in your mind, and it's because he wants you to pray for it, right? It's an invitation to really press in and pray for that person or that situation or something like that. Let's say it's the government, because uh, that's everybody's favorite topic. Um, let, you know, so you've got your TV on, it's just you're hearing something, you don't like it, and the Lord is highlighting it to you. You were over here doing something else, but you're, it's high, he's highlighting it to you because he wants you to pray about it. He wants you to get his strategy and declare it and release it. But instead, what do we do? We complain. We criticize. We get on Facebook and we make a post. We call our friend and go, can you believe this? Look what I just read. Look what I, so look what I heard today. The world is coming to an end. It's awful. When that pressure was actually put there to make, not make, to invite you to pray and get his solution. Standing before the Lord and complaining or slinging accusations at other people is a misuse of the authority we've been given. Jesus was given all authority on earth, and he said he gave it to us. To do what? To criticize? No. To change the world. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Things like that. The invitation is to pray and to get his solutions. The other dangerous thing I think we do with prayer is we reduce it to a discipline. Now, disciplines aren't bad. Don't hear me say that. Disciplines are good. But when we make prayer a thing that we just check off a list, when we get joy from saying, yep, I got out of bed and I prayed for 10 minutes, I'm going to have a great day. When we get joy from just checking something off, we're getting joy from the form or the structure or a checklist or the rules. What is religion? 
Religion is form without power. Religion is a set of rules, a set of ideas, a structure or a form that we follow that doesn't have any power to back it up. We as Christians, as Jesus followers, are supposed to have the power of the kingdom within us. It should be flowing through our life. There should be fruit in our life. And it's the beginning of the end when we say things and there's no answer to prayer and we're like, well, I prayed. I did it. I checked it off my list. There's nothing else I can do. That's not what we were designed for. If you think about ambassadors, so if somebody is an ambassador for this country to, you know, they're going to live in another country as the ambassador to the U.S. When we send somebody to another country, their salary is based on U.S. standards, right? Not the country they go to. We provide housing, we even provide food. They're welcome to eat the local food, but the U.S. will send food if they want, that they're used to from here, that they're their comforts of home. There's even a U.S. embassy that's considered U.S. soil. And so they've got this little safe bubble that's kind of reminds them of home, has all the comforts of their, not all of them maybe, but the, the idea is, is that they're still a U.S. citizen in this other country. We are ambassadors of heaven. Even though you've been planted here, you live here, you live in this nation, you live in Cincinnati, you live on your street, you work in your, wherever your job is, you're ambassadors of heaven. Your home, your apartment, your job, those are all supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, right? You do things unto the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're not in full-time ministry. We're all called to be representatives of the king. So keep that in mind. Acts probably talks about prayer the most. Um, other than the book of Psalms. And so we're going to look at a couple things in Acts, and then we're going to kind of tie it all together. In Acts 2, we have the story of Pentecost, where Holy Spirit came and everyone started speaking in tongues. Um, We've talked about this often here. But it's this idea that heaven came down, the glory came down, the Spirit just hovered over everybody. They were all given a gift of, of tongues. And tongues is not some big scary thing. It's just a prayer language. Sometimes I'm so overjoyed, I don't know what to pray. Sometimes I'm so sad, I don't know what to pray, but I have my spirit language, I have tongues, and so my spirit will just pray, and the Lord knows what it is. And sometimes you pray in tongues to get started, and then it's like, oh, and then you, you switch back to English because an idea comes into your mind, and, and you go from there. But it's just a prayer language. It's not this big, scary thing. It's not just something that was in the Bible. Anybody can have the, the gift of tongues. Anyways... So Pentecost comes, Holy Spirit comes, they're all, you know, just in the glory. The Bible says, doesn't say what happened before Pentecost, but many scholars believe that they were probably there gathered for about 10 days. So before heaven invaded earth, earth invaded heaven. Someday we're in the middle of a two-day struggle, but we only press in and pray for one. And then we blame God. This little fly is the peskiest thing. Must be the devil. He's mad at me. Uh, no. um, we're in a two-day struggle, but we only pray for one, and then we get mad and we blame God. You know, he just didn't answer me. He didn't hear me. He's not listening. Dangerous prayers, constant prayers. You're meant to hear from him. You're meant to have joy. You're ambassadors of another world. It's this constant thing. It's not your timetable. It's his. Acts 2.42, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I think we overcomplicate it. 
This is what they did. This is how they sustained themselves. This is how they fulfilled themselves. This is how they kept joy. They hung out with each other. They shared a meal. They really got to know each other and ask questions, not just behind some screen, but like living life with people. And they prayed together. Have you ever prayed with somebody? If you haven't, you should. We overcomplicate it. You're meant to hear him. You're meant to have joy. You're ambassadors of another kingdom. This next passage of scripture is a little bit long. Um, If you have your Bibles, you might want to read along. Sometimes that helps me pay attention. Um, It will be on the screen, though. But I want to read this entire section um, because I think if we're going to talk about dangerous prayers and what it means, we have to talk about a, a couple of key points. And I promise I'm going to try and tie it all together. Acts 12, though, is where we're going. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Isn't that funny? Like an angel come and just whack. Quick, get up, he said, and the chain fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that the angel was doing, what the angel was doing was really happening. So Peter thinks he's like dreaming or something. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Poor guy, can't catch a break. Can't even get a door to be open for him. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left another place doesn't stay you just on to the next I got a mission man now I think it's interesting I'm just going to ask a few questions about this passage for you to think about James was martyred right the very first line says James was martyred but Peter wasn't why not constant prayer did you catch verse 5 where it said that the church was earnestly praying to God for him Now, some say, well, it was just God's will for James to be martyred. Was it, though? Do you think God sits up there and says, oh, 
I want that one to be martyred and that one to be martyred. And yep, uh, that one will make a good story too. I'm going to have them be martyred and then my people will get his act together. Or does he want his co-laborers, his people, to pray dangerous prayers that would thwart the plans of the enemy and blow up plans of the enemy and say, no, no more, not on my watch. If prayer can change things, can't the absence of prayer change things too? What if this culture war that we're having right now is because of the absence of prayer? What if the church has fallen asleep and has forgotten its mission to pray dangerous prayers? And this current mess that we're in is no one's fault but our own. Now, God can use anything. James was martyred and the church went, oh, this is serious. And then they prayed and Peter was saved. So he can use anything. But you were designed to hear him. You were designed for joy. You're ambassadors of heaven meant to pray dangerous prayers to change things. Now, there's two reasons I believe that we're supposed to have constant prayer and constant relationship and revelation with Jesus. The one is demonic oppression. We can't talk about dangerous prayer without talking a little bit. I don't like to give the enemy much credit, but there is a real demonic presence. There were angels kicked out of heaven, and now they're on a mission to just kill, steal, and destroy. The other reason is that God is shaping something in us. Prayer not only changes circumstances, but it changes us in the process. In this particular passage that we just read, the church of that day is dealing with a governmental power that had partnered with the demonic, right? I think we can all agree that Herod had some really bad ideas. He was killing babies under two because he, he wanted to get rid of Jesus. And then he decides to go after the apostles later. He had partnered with this spirit of murder. So what happens when someone partners with the demonic? A couple of things. When you make a covenant, which just means agreement, when you agree with a lie or you agree with an idea that does not line up with a word, you are opening a door, so to speak, for darkness to come in. Now, sometimes it's just one person and they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, as a kid, lots of kids played with Ouija boards when I was growing up and they had no idea what they were doing. And we just fix it later. That's why we have Sozo. We just repent for that. We say we're sorry. We close the door. When there's a group of people that kind of agree with all this darkness and agree with some of these bad ideas that don't line up with the word, sometimes entire principalities can come over a region and then they have the power. And so that's why sometimes you can go to certain cities or certain areas and you're like, oh, it just doesn't feel good here. It just feels gross. And you just, you just want to leave. And sometimes that's because there's a greater influence of darkness over that spot. Sometimes people don't even realize what they've done, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they're so entrenched that they represent and personify the enemy's plans. Now, I can't emphasize enough, the person is not the enemy. You don't like somebody in government? They're not your enemy. You're supposed to pray for them, right? Because Ephesians says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces. Sometimes people are under the influence of darkness. Sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't. But your job is not to accuse, it's not to point fingers, your job is to pray for that person. 
Herod was under a spirit of murder. He was a political leader governed by fear of man. So he sees that the Jews are happy when James is martyred. He's like, oh, well, let's commit some more crimes. Let's do some more things to make my people happy because he was more worried about the people. He was fearful of the people instead of fearful of God and what was right. And so he just commits crime after crime after crime to gain their favor. And that's kind of how the political system works. But my point is, don't fall for the trap that God is sovereign and we don't have to pray. God is sovereign. That is a true statement. But it doesn't mean that we're robots and we don't have to pray. It doesn't mean that everything's predestined and pre-organized and what we do doesn't influence it in any way. We are ambassadors. We are moral agents. And we are given the privilege of partnering with God to release his strategies and his agendas. And we get that strategy through constant prayer. And constant prayer is not just a, you know, a nice little flowery, I lay me down to sleep, or, you know, when I was growing up, we had a dinner prayer that we said every night. I don't even remember what it was. Bless us, O Lord, and these I gifts, something like that. Um, and those aren't bad. It's a great starting point. It's great to teach your kids those kind of prayers um, to get them in the discipline. But you don't stay there. You have to move, right, from glory to glory, the Bible says. And when Jesus was praying for 40 days, you know, I don't think he was just repeating the same thing over and over again. He was having a conversation. And, you know, Satan was actually talking to him, and Jesus was able to give him answers. And it says several times that Jesus was tempted, and it says Satan finally left. He finally just, well, I'm not getting to this one. I, I got to leave. Why? Satan is not connected to the life source. Jesus was. You are. Your yes to God, your constant prayer, your constant relationship, your constant yes to God, where's Satan now? He's not connected. You are. You're meant to hear God. You're meant for joy. You're ambassadors of another kingdom, meant to pray dangerous prayers. If you think of a rental agreement, let's say you're the renter. I own some kind of property, and I own it outright. So the bank doesn't own it. I, I, it's free and clear. It's mine. But I'm renting it to you. And we have an agreement. And so there's a contract. And you're going to pay rent every month and whatever. I can't come in, even though I have the master key, I can't come in whenever I want. We have an agreement that you're renting it. And so you're going to take care of it. And I'm going to leave you alone as long as you pay the rent. I have the key. I could come in if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. The Bible says the heavens were made for the Lord but earth was made for man. We're the renters. And he's not going to come unless we invite him. I want to close today with this video. Um, if you watch HGTV at all, you'll recognize who these people are. Um, Jenny and Dave Mars. They're kind of new to HGTV, but um, both Christians and they adopted a daughter a while ago and every year on the anniversary of the day when they uh, finally got to hold their daughter they post this video to remember so I'm gonna warn you now I cry like a baby every year when they post this it doesn't matter I cried again this year when they posted it even though I've seen it um, so we're gonna watch this and then I'm gonna read to you what Jenny had to say about that day Really? Yeah. 
Jody Mars, the mom in that video, says this. <clears throat> I wasn't there on the day she entered this world. I wasn't privy to the miracles that took place that day half a world away. I don't know what her first days and months and years look like. There's so much I just don't know. Looming, gaping holes from her earliest, most formative years are painful reminders of all I have missed. Yet what I do know is on this day seven years ago, I bore witness to a miracle an honest-to-goodness, God-sized, Red Sea-parting kind of miracle. Hope had nearly been lost. Despair had slowly seeped in. We had no way of knowing if our daughter would ever be back in our arms. 602 days of waiting. 602 days of praying and pleading and calling congressmen and senators and flying over the sea to beg the U.S. Embassy to help. Emails and letters and phone calls with no traction toward getting her home left us depleted. Make no mistake, a battle took place to bring our daughter home. The exhale when she was placed back into my arms on U.S. soil was echoed in heaven. The spiritual battle that I couldn't see during those long days and nights was finally over. I post this every year on this day to remember. I never want to forget the way the Lord fought on our behalf. The things he has in store for Sylvie must certainly leave the enemy shaking in fear or else he wouldn't have worked so tirelessly to keep her from us. It's hard to believe seven years have passed since this day when our family was finally under the same roof. Happy family day, Sylvie. And she ends it with, if you are in the middle of your own long, dark night of waiting, I hope our story can bring encouragement for your weary heart. Your story isn't over yet. Don't despair. Remember, our God never authors pain. He is only always good. Sometimes we can't see past our current sight line, but just over the horizon, he has good, good things in store. Keep trusting. And I would add, keep praying. You were meant to hear him. You were meant for joy. You are ambassadors of another kingdom meant to pray dangerous prayers that will change the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much and that you wage war on our behalf and that we have the victory, God, and that when we pray, we pray from victory. God, I thank you that you are a loving God who doesn't force his way and doesn't force his will, but you invite us in to all the good things that you have for us. You're just waiting for us to say your name. And so God, I pray today that you would make us bold, that we wouldn't waste any more time, 
and that we would live in constant prayer and constant revelation and constant relationship with you, Jesus. That we wouldn't get caught up with trivial things and things that don't matter. That we wouldn't be so laser focused on problems, God, but on you. And that you would give us strategies and solutions. And God, to the hurt and to the wounds, Jesus, that you would speak to those now. And you would just do immediate sozos on people, God. That you would show them where you were in those times of wounds and hurts. God, you would give them a glimpse into the battle and all the things you were doing on their behalf that they couldn't see, God. God, we thank you for favor. We thank you that you sent your son to die for our sins, but more importantly, to have relationship. God, we thank you for eternity and we thank you for grace, God. Help us to steward it well. We love you and we love your son. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, we'll have a prayer team over here. Otherwise, have a great week. For more information about Vineyard Westside, please visit vineyardwestside.com.